Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. Welcome back. This is America's Heroes Group Roundtable with partner Community Healthcare Outreach, Dr. DeLeon Canterbury. Today is Saturday, December 4th, 2021. December is AIDS Awareness and National Human Rights Month. The host is Cliff Kelly. I'm Sean Claiborne, Army National Guard veteran. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith, and our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Productions. And Mr. Dr. DeLeon Canterbury, he's with PharmD, board-certified geriatric pharmacist, and the president and CEO of GeriatRx Incorporated. And we want to talk about why senior care providers and caregivers need a pharmacist. Mr. Canterbury, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, doing great. Appreciate you having me back, man. How are you? How's my your end? My pleasure, my pleasure. Doctor, I should call you, Doc. So now, oh. what, do we, what do we need to know about how pharmacists and caregivers help seniors. Absolutely, man. So people tend to forget that pharmacists are the most accessible healthcare professional in their community. Nearly 90% of all people in America live within five miles of a pharmacist. And so the value they can bring to your healthcare team is truly unrecognized. Um, Pharmacists are not only vital at managing medications, but they're also vital at looking out for any potential side effects, any drug interactions, and healthcare cost savings, all at the, honestly, the access at your fingertips. So really using them and leveraging their knowledge base it can honestly save you a trip to the hospital and keep a loved one out of going to the doctor's office, you know, as frequently as they may be going. Now, the thing is, when I, when I go to the pharmacist, I don't really, when I mean, you always ask you, do you want to talk to the pharmacist? And, Doc, I never right. really, I never, I would say, no, it's okay. Because, but I don't really see that that pharmacist as someone I should be getting advice from. This means just me personally. And even when I sit there mm-hmm. and I'm, when I watch everybody in, in line in front of me, nobody ever talks to the pharmacist unless something is way off. Like, oh, wait a minute, this what is sure. this drug you, you're giving me? I didn't talk about this with my doctor. Nobody talks to the right. pharmacist. Right. It's true. It's true. And I mean, let's be honest. And this is exactly the problem I try to address and why I launched my company, Geriatrics. And it's because sometimes you feel a little rushed. You feel a little uncomfortable doing it at your community pharmacy or you kind of feel like, you know, the pharmacist looks busy. I don't know if I can do that. But the truth is they're there for you and they're there to literally help you with your immediate needs. So I get that sometimes people feel a little uncomfortable, but you got to leverage who's there and who's able to support you. And the truth is we numerous times keep people out of the hospital by just our expertise and knowledge base. I mean, there's so many patients who come in taking a bunch of stuff and it's not even as simple as, hey, you know, I have a side effect or a cold. But it literally could be choosing the right product in the aisle. It could be helping with 
talking through uh, barriers with your insurance plan. It could be discussing next steps for maybe a prior authorization or a drug option that's cheaper for your family. Uh, but the key here is knowing that it's more than just a cashier service. You can have pharmacists literally talk through herbal products, over-the-counter products, and talk about things you may not have thought considered otherwise as being harmful to you. So there's, there's a plethora of uses. Uh, but the truth is they're there for you. And so we got to use them um, and, and, and really just show the value that we have in our healthcare team. Now I want to ask you another question. Am I saying the name of the business right, Jerry at RX, or is it Geriatrics? Yeah, Geriatrics. The okay. whole uh, RX is kind of like a pun on the pharmacist logo. Yeah. Uh, so, it's, yeah, Geriatrics. And, yep. That's right. Okay, yeah, I just want to make sure I got that right because I've been saying Jerry at RX. That's the kind of way it's because I see their RX, you know. I see the pun in there. But. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. <laughs> so, geriatrics, so when, as, so when your experience, when uh-huh. people, have you seen, have you been able to change the uh, or affect the medications that people have been taking? When somebody comes in and are taking the medication, have you had a conversation with a doctor about other alternatives and then that, that had some kind of impact on their prescriptions? Yeah, all the time. I mean, it's one of our essential roles. Um, but yeah, I've had people report rare side effects and reactions, and I've been able to safely switch to safer alternatives uh, on the behalf of the patient. So it's it's a lot more than just simply a simple like fix. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> so many issues come up at the pharmacy. It could be copay related. It could be you know a prior approval needed for the drug to be uh, you know basically approved before the insurance pays for it. Or it could be looking at or identifying rare side effects that otherwise weren't noticed before the patient started taking it. So I've had Mm. people with rare skin sensitivities. I've had people who literally broke out in hives or had allergic reactions to certain types of brands of drugs, even though it's the same as another form they had before. So these little notes are the catch-all, honestly, before the doctor writes it. Or, in fact, after they write it. So we are literally the last line of care before people go home and put that pill in their mouth. So there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. But it also involves a keen eye on patient care and patient safety. And that's our expertise when it comes to these medications that basically are 80% of all healthcare treatments. Am I right? So let me ask you this. So there's a, so when a doctor prescribes medicine, who's truly the expert? Is it really the doctor prescribing the medicine, or is it sometimes a case where maybe a doctor is used to a certain regimen of medicines or a certain catalog of mm-hmm. medicines? Um, who is truly mm-hmm. the expert that understands the ins and outs of maybe 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 that pharmacist should be looking at looking at the, pres- the prescriptions all the time for every patient and not just getting the list coming in from the doctor and saying, okay, we're just going to fill this and here it goes. Exactly, and. The truth is that's exactly what pharmacists do. Um, at the end of the day, the pharmacists are the king, the ace of spades, the oh, joker, wow. all that. They are everything when it comes to medications. Yeah. Um, you, always says, unfortunately, you always think of the doctor being the, the guy that gives you the actual prescription. You think of them being the king or the ace there. You, you tell me to take this pill. I'm thinking that you know everything about this pill. This is like the this is going to cure everything because you told me to take it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 
frankly, why I have a job. Uh, <laughs> doctors don't. <laughs> doctors don't know the medications as well. I mean, and it's not to say that they don't know basics, mm-hmm. but they don't know the ins and outs of mechanisms, um, risk factors, adverse events, um, side effects. They don't understand how other medications play with other drugs. And mm-hmm. so, to be honest, doctors mainly get what, six weeks of pharmacology in their med school, their training is strictly focused on diagnosing and then treating. But they don't really know as much of the treatments as pharmacists do. And I cannot tell you how many times doctors verbally appreciate how much a good pharmacist can really make their lives easy because we're catching the errors before the patient gets it in the hospital or outside of the hospital. So pharmacists are not only vital, but they are the drug experts. And sadly to say, doctors aren't going to know all the things about all the drugs, and that's why pharmacists are here today to support them in that. So that's the word of the day. So America, veterans, global community, go out and talk to your pharmacist to make sure you're taking the right medications. Because I've noticed, too, when you change doctors, doctors like to overwrite and just completely change your medications whatever reason uh-huh. you know even though you say you're taking lisinopril they want you to take carvedilol you're taking this you want you to take take that and the next thing you know mm-hmm. you're changing your stuff all the time and they all have different types of side effects you have they make you feel different a lot of times you got to get used to the medications and things like that and that could be aggravating especially with heart medications and all kinds of other mm-hmm. types of expensive medications um so then one other yeah. thing too so in your experience do you see with we had had a little bit of conversation earlier about the uh, build back better plan one of the main key tenets of that is talking about uh, medicare prescription um over, uh, oversight as far as pricing and things like that i just saw on the news mm-hmm. there was a and there was a, a, a i think an alzheimer's drug it's like $53,000 a month for that kind of, for that regimen something like mm-hmm. ridiculous like how does a pill get that expensive $53,000 for a for a bottle of pills bottle of ingredients yeah. most of the stuff you can probably get in the earth you can probably go out and dig that stuff up if you knew what you were doing and put it together yeah i wish man and this is exactly what geriatrics tackles is we look at health cost savings for patients too so not only do we focus on medication deprescribing, but we focus on using genetic testing as well as finding cheaper cost alternatives for patients so, yeah, the drug you're talking about is called um, Aduhelm. It just got FDA approved to help treat with dementia. It's a, it's a monthly infusion, so that's part of why it costs so much, is you have to go to a, a center and get an infusion done for about an hour or so uh, to get the drug. Um, but the controversy lies in that Medicare may foot the bill, and you're right. It's 53000 a year. And most patients can't afford that at all, as you can imagine. Even with insurance, it comes down to about a thousand or uh, two thousand a month out of pocket. Someone has to pay. So the the problem is when Medicare is paying for that, the patient will have to probably pay about twenty percent of what's not covered, and that's still really inaccessible to those who may not have it. So they're trying to talk about the the issue of price spreading and negotiate contracts with the companies and manufacturers so it's a little cheaper. Again, this is a drug that's new, and it does have a little bit of controversy because we don't know for fact if it will improve cognition in the brain. We don't know that at all. And that's why there's so much of a red tape. Some people resign from the FDA uh, about this drug. 
So I've actually had the pleasure of working with the Alzheimer's Association, who has heavily supported the funding for this drug because it actually opens a pathway to a lot of newer drugs uh, that can um, potentially work more effectively than this one coming out. So it is a a bit of a cap 22. We still took a bit of a gamble. Um, But if this drug proves to be effective, it can open a door for other medications in the same family that may work better. But again, cost is a huge issue with, with healthcare. And as you know, if it's not affordable, then we know that the people with the most access will benefit the most. I couldn't imagine paying $53,000 in a year for a, for a medication that didn't even necessarily work. Going broke, yeah. <laughs> and, you, right. and you still have the same problem. And then the worst case, you got dementia, so you're not even really fully aware of what you're even, what's even exactly. going on around you. Man, that's devastating. It's sad. It's sad. And it's it's the current reality, man. And I wish it was a nicer way to say it, but I was actually hugely against the drug when it first came out because we didn't have clinical evidence stating that it can improve dementia. We just saw that it may lower a, a certain brain marker, but there was no proof in the pudding. So that was my biggest concern. Um, and then how do you regulate whether it works in practice is another issue. Um, but they are, you know, trying to actively recruit more minority um, patients so they can have a better a better rundown of how well the attendants work. So they, they are trying to at least make this accessible for free for those who qualify who, you know, may not have be able to pay for it otherwise. So I'm curious. Um, there's a lot of work to be done, uh, for sure. But uh, I do have some hope for the future of this class of drug down the road for for treating dementia, which we know has not had a new drug for nearly 23 years. Wow. Man, so America, that's another second word of the day. Make sure you get a Medicare Part D. Get a Medicare Part D, seniors, when you turn 65, to help you with these these cost of prescription drugs, so this stuff is expensive. And you guys know that. Now, another thing about this, too, is that, you know, when, uh, when these drugs and things come out, um, a lot of people start sometimes do their own concoctions like we saw with COVID. There's a lot of celebrities in the news and things like that. They were doing their own mm-hmm. uh, COVID cocktails, whatever. They weren't taking the <laughs> vaccine. So yeah. how do you – and some, and some um, celebrities said, I talked to my doctor. I had my doctor's guidance, and this is what they told me to do. You know, for, and we don't know the, the, the ifs and whys and buts of why they didn't take the vaccine. So I know it's, that's, a, that's, you know, I, don't, I won't say it's a personal issue per se, but even though it is a personal issue, but that's not really my concern. My, my, I think it's very important when you want to take a vaccine or take anything put into your body, always talk to your professional. Talk to your doctor, talk to your pharmacist, make sure that you are doing the right thing. You might, you might have some kind of genetic thing. To, you know, I, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a medical professional. I can't tell you to take a pill or take a vaccine, but... I can tell you, go talk to your doctor and do what your doctor tells you to do. If you if you trust your doctor and, and do what your pharmacist tells you to do, if you trust your pharmacist. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. And it sh- you shouldn't have to wait to your six-month annual to have this type of discussion. You know, if you have a pressing concern, that's what your pharmacist is there for. But what I really pride myself is that I have a telehealth company. So it's literally focused on bringing the pharmacist to your home without you having to go anywhere and just have it on your smartphone or a phone call if need be. So we have to change this approach to care and see it as a holistic issue and not just simply, all right, doc, here's my issue. And then they have a list of problems and checklists to try to take care of that are already 
problematic for them. So we have to see an easier way of using pharmacists outside of just your traditional pharmacy role, and that's why I started my company. And I also feel I feel bad, I guess, in a lot of ways, too, for people that take their health in their own hands and don't really know what they're doing. I remember I saw it like mm-hmm. a news report and it was, it was really sad. It was sad, but it was actually on a comedy skit. Um, there was and actually, this is true. This is true. Real talk. There was, this is a guy who was dying of COVID and mm-hmm. the nurse, uh, was there, there, the news, I guess, reporter was happened, just happened to be there. And this person comes in, they were reporting on some, it seemed like there was something totally different. They were actually reporting on, but this person was actually there he was struggling, and he would refuse to take the vaccine, refuse to get do anything about it. He said he was arguing with the oh. nurse about, you know, he says he didn't feel like the government should tell him to do this, and this is his own, his own body, and blah blah blah, whatever and stuff. It's like, well, they're like, well, why didn't you yeah. take the vaccine? Why didn't you, you know, why didn't you do it? Whatever. And like, oh, I'm not doing it because I don't, you know, all these reasons. Then the nurse walks out of the room and says she's probably she's, she's frustrated. She's like, he's probably going to die. And then the next yeah. the next sentence you learn is he dies. He actually oh, died from COVID from, you know, from something right. he could have probably prevented by doing. But once again, why would someone make a decision with their with so much on the line, your life on the line, without any kind of medical guidance? I mean, you can get a second or third or fourth opinion. Go out and get some kind of advice about what you're putting in your body or not putting in your body for that matter. Right. Yeah, I mean, bro, the, the sad part is, and I actually work on a African-American COVID task force based out of here in Durham, and we get these kind of questions all the time and concerns and hesitations, and we literally had a health fair today giving COVID boosters, and, you know, people will generally have questions about this. But the truth is we got to stop seeing this as a me, me, me issue and more of a worldwide community pandemic and i think the gift of being an american is we have the right to choose the right of choice freedom rights etc um but i think we overblow that concept when it comes to public health and public safety so you know we have a hard time trying to mandate people here of course we can do it federally uh without someone feeling infringed upon their rights. Whereas when you start seeing things as literally black and white, Latino, black, and Indian populations die the most from COVID. Mm -hmm. They have the worst outcomes from COVID. They have the least access to care from COVID. Um, And then unfortunately, this is so politicized, it makes it harder to have consistent messaging showing the benefits and so any little conspiracy theory on social media becomes fact likely because they're in the silos of their you know who they may talk to about this and the chances are not most of them are healthcare professionals Mm -hmm. so it just leads to honestly a poorly poorly um addressed issue that our government and our country has been struggling with since day one so we haven't talked about access in communities that don't have it. And so when people don't have consistent messaging, there's no trust. If you don't have trust and transparency, then you can't expect people to take it. And you have to still have empathy for those who may have lived through Tuskegee or have seen government-funded uh, programs literally sterilize black and indigenous populations. So there's a reason to have some skepticism, but with COVID, COVID does not care about racism. It cares about living and spreading, and that's why we have Omicron variant to deal with, and this is going to be something we'll end up living with for the rest of our lives. But our individual decisions impact others, and when we start seeing things as a community and as a whole, that's when we can get ahead of this. Mm. 
There was a, a doctor, a UK doctor, who was talking about the possibility, um, you studied this uh, Omicron variant a lot, and he was talking about the possibility that the Omicron variant, because it used, to use, I guess, all this genetic uh, mutation ability um, and some kind of evolutionary process to be more transmissible, that it's not, it may not be as powerful, meaning it doesn't cause as much death or as much, uh, as much uh, serious illness or side effects or of, uh, from, the, from the COVID. And he's, he's mm-hmm. saying that there's a possibility that this could this omni this omicron variant that goes once it goes around the world that it'll actually help build up immunity. Do you see that as a possibility? Is that something that's real, or is that something that's um, that's not normal in, in the world of, of viruses and things like that? Um, it's an interesting theory, just based on the genetic mutations alone. We're already seeing preliminary studies saying that it close to up to three times as more transmissible than the Delta variant, which we know Delta is the big boy right now. Uh, However, like you said, that does not necessarily mean that it's going to cause more harm or it's more dangerous. And we still have yet to see the verdict on that. Hmm. So preliminarily speaking, and, you know, information changes every day, it can spread more. And, you know, it being able to spread more, may lead to more uh, immunity when it comes to just being exposed. However, the big however is, is that worth the risk of people being exposed? Mm. Is that worth the risk of someone contracting COVID, knowing that 25% of people who have COVID have long-lasting effects that significantly increases their health care costs and chances of mortality within a year? of having COVID. So again, it's still going to always be safer to just get vaccinated and at least talk through those hesitant, uh, you know, concerns you may have with a trusted healthcare provider. Um, So yeah, in some theories that could be plausible, but is that worth the risk? And I'm going to always say no, if we have amazing vaccines that still have great efficacy in predicting uh, and preventing harm, from COVID. So that's going to always be first and foremost to me. And that's why I will, you know, rather a person take a shot than chance their numbers with potentially spreading to other people unknowingly and putting them in the hospital where majority of our people are the ones dying. So that's how I see it. Last question. So, so one thing I've noticed too, at least I've been reading a lot about that you can have COVID um, and not have severe symptoms or severe um, have any kind of severe uh, effect by it. it doesn't make you sick you're not in the hospital you're not on a respirator but yet still you have long-term internal effects that might affect you know things like your liver or, or your kidneys or whatever your lungs whatever things like mm-hmm. that is that is that common with covid uh is it common to to have those types of have symptoms? a mild symptom? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, to have a mild symptom, but yet still have long-term effects that are actually serious. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely common. Um, shoot, I mean, anecdotally, uh, it happened in my family. Um, and, you know, some of my siblings had it, and uh, they they still deal with some loss of taste and senses, and don't have it all the way back. But we're seeing more studies that, you know, don't get me wrong, most mild cases uh, generally aren't going to have lasting effects, but you still can. And that's Mm -hmm. the number that we don't know for sure. But what we do know is um, those with severe tend to have complications 
indefinitely. And I've, I've seen too many survivors who were put on ventilators who are still learning how to walk, still learning how to breathe, still learning, having to go to PT, still trying to figure out these little things that we take for granted. You know, she has to drink through a straw. Like she can no longer drink from a glass because it, she just can't physically wow. do that. Um, and this was someone who was on a ventilator uh, for 23 days uh, who had to learn how to walk, breathe, talk all over again. So again, this is a healthy woman and you don't know what the risks are. That's why it's more important to get vaccinated than to take your chances. This person was healthy. She had no other issues. She literally had to take 15 medications for the rest of her life because wow. of COVID. So again, the risks come down to are you willing to risk that type of lifestyle when you can easily get a shot and maybe sick for a day or two at worst and, you know, essentially be protected. So that's why this is so important and, and, you know, passionate for me because I don't need to see any more people die from a preventative, a preventable disorder, you know, a preventable illness. Once again, America, go get your vaccine, go talk to your doctor, talk to your pharmacist, get the information. Doc, last thing, tell us how to get a hold of you, how to find you on the Internet. Yeah, sure, man. Um, I'm at, uh, again, I'm Dr. Delon Canterbury. I'm at geriatrics.org. It's kind of spelled like a pharmacist, so G-E-R-I-A-T-R-X.org. Uh, I have tons of content all over social media. You can follow me at Geriatrics on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, um, Instagram. I do all types of videos and live events talking about medication management, senior care, and uh, hopefully reducing harm in patients using a pharmacist-focused approach. So that's my calling, and always a pleasure to be on your show, man. Thanks a lot, Doc. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.